First Thessalonians chapter number 5. We have an interesting uh, phrase used to describe the people of God. Verse number 5 says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. I want to preach to you a little bit tonight on being children of light. What exactly does that mean? particularly in the context of 1 Thessalonians. What is uh, the Word of God trying to teach us about how we should live our lives? Well, when we read this passage, it begins really in the middle of a thought. You notice, in fact, this chapter begins with the word but. Now, that is a word that is uh, conjunctive in nature. It joins two things. And, and it's something that when you read it, it's the completion of a thought. You've said something, and then you've sort of turned on a hinge and said, but this as well. And when you read through the book of 1 Thessalonians, you'll find that there is basically one theological issue that Paul is dealing with at the church at Thessalonica. There had been some that had come along and taught these believers that the rapture of the church had already taken place. This was troubling to them. They began to wonder, (coughs) excuse me, what does this mean for us as believers and what does it mean for our loved ones? What What is all this going to change uh, if the rapture has already taken place? You see, Paul had grounded them in the understanding the very next thing on God's prophetic calendar was the rapture of the church. And they uh, had been taught to understand from the Word of God and to believe from the Word of God that they were waiting. The Bible says that these Thessalonian believers had turned from idols to wait for God's dear Son from heaven. They were waiting for the rapture to transpire. But someone had been teaching them, hey, you've missed the boat. The rapture has already taken place. You have been left behind. And now all that awaits you is the horror of the tribulation period. You're going to have to live through it and endure that. So Paul, the moment he knows, he hears from Timothy that this uh, error, this error has taken root in the church at Thessalonica, he takes pen in hand and he begins to write to these believers to straighten out this theological misunderstanding that they have. And so he has begun to do that back in chapter number 4. In fact, a very familiar passage of Scripture. You've probably heard it at many funerals, probably heard it at many gravesides. I've preached on it a lot. Beginning in verse 13, listen to what Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, chapter 4, verse 13, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, see, he's saying it's not happened yet, it's going to happen, shall not prevent them which are asleep, those that already died in the Lord. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And then He says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. The first thing we see here is an established prophetic truth. In all that Paul is teaching them about the rapture and the uh, imminent return of the Lord Jesus for His bride, the church, he does not want them to get the idea that that necessarily means that the time is long for this world or that we are somehow many ages away from God's uh, culmination of His revelation of Himself to this world in the person of Christ and of the coming judgment upon this world. He tells them, I don't have to go back through and do a refresher course on that. You know that we're living in the last days. You know that the times are short. You know what the times and the seasons 
are, and by the way, those words times and seasons uh, denote uh, dispensational designations. Uh, the times are the, are the various dispensations of God. The seasons are the characteristics of those dispensations. He's saying this, you know your prophecy, you know that the times that we're living in are short. And then he, he emphasizes it, for he says, for yourselves know perfectly, meaning they grasped it, they understood it, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, the phrase day of the Lord is not a vague term. It's not an abstract term. Uh, the phrase day of the Lord refers to the tribulation period and the revelation of Jesus Christ at the close of it. And what he is saying is this, that this day of the Lord, this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this tribulation period is going to come upon the world and it will be a surprise to them. He says it cometh as a thief in the night. The thief, you don't expect the thief to arrive. You don't expect the thief to appear at your house. You don't expect him to break in and steal your things and fall upon your family. And he says that's how for the world it's going to be. You remember whenever uh, the Lord Jesus talked about the end times and he said that it would be as it was in the days of Lot and as it was in the days of Noah. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about that, but the Lord Jesus' emphasis was this, that in the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day that the floodwaters came. And with Sodom and Gomorrah, it was that they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day that the fire and brimstone fell. In other words, it came upon them unawares. They were not expecting it. They were not anticipating it. Uh, then we see in verse number 3 an explanation of this prophetic truth. He says this, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, I don't have time to go through everything I'd like to go through here, but you can read Second Thessalonians and get a little bit more background on this because Paul goes into great detail about the conditions during the tribulation period in the world. And one of the things that he says is that the whole world will be believe a strong delusion. Uh, in other words, they will be deceived by the Antichrist and his lies and they will believe that everything is fine. We often think of the tribulation period as a time when everything's spinning out of control. And it's true, there is a time when everything spins out of control. But particularly for the first half of it, the world is going to feel like they finally got this thing of living life figured out. They're going to feel as though the Antichrist is leading them into a place of prosperity and of freedom and of technological advancement like they've never experienced before. And here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, peace and safety. I was talking to someone the other day about the current conditions in our world around us. And let me tell you something, there are no two words that hold higher premium in society today than the words peace and safety. They're not going to say liberty. They're going to say peace and safety. And we are living in a world today that will purchase peace and safety at any cost imaginable. doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter what it does. All they want is peace and safety. Can I remind you, hey, God's the only one that can give you either of them things. He's the only one. He's the only one that can give you peace. Hey, there's no peace to the wicked, the Word of God says. Uh, peace only comes from the Prince of Peace and the peace of the Prince of Peace reigning and ruling in our hearts and in our lives. And then He and He alone gives safety. Hey, man, He can give safety in the eye of the storm. He can give safety in the middle of the turmoil. Hey, He can give safety in the midst of danger and peril. Only He can give safety. But the world is going to clamor for this idea of peace and safety. And they'll believe that they found it. But that will not be the case. The Bible tells us then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. 
Now here's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, you know your Bible, you know what I've taught you, you know about God's plan for these ages, and you know that that day is going to surprise this world. But he says, remember, you're not of this world. You're of a different group of people. You ought to notice sometime, read through First and Second Thessalonians, just make note of the difference in pronouns. Do you notice how he uses them here? He says in verse number 4, but ye breath. In verse number 3, he's talking about they and them. But in verse number 4, he starts talking about ye and us. And what's he doing? He's drawing a distinction between lost individuals and saved individuals. And he's saying the lost world will not see that day coming. Even though it's taught clearly in the Word of God, they'll be given over to a strong delusion. They'll believe somehow that it's not true even as they watch it unfold around them. But he says, but you as children of God, as children of light, you're not in darkness, you're in light. And that should change the way that you live. I would say this, that we see three things in our text that informs how we as children of light ought to be living in these dark days. We are living in days of darkness. We're living in days of spiritual darkness, biblical darkness. We're living in days of moral darkness. We're living in days of ideological darkness. And oftentimes we get the idea that it's so dark that the light can't shine, but that ain't how light works. Somebody say amen. The darker it is, the easier it is for the light to shine. And so Paul shows us in these dark days that we are not a part of that darkness. That darkness has not overtaken us. We've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We've been made children of light, and therefore there should be a difference in the way we live, and that ought to inform how we see the world around us. I want you to notice three thoughts with me tonight, and then we'll be done. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. In verses 4 and 5, we see the distinction of the children of light. Why are we different as children of God? What has made us different? What is markedly different about us? Then in verses 6, 7, and 8, we see the disposition of the children of light. What characteristics can we expect out of our lives or should be expected because of of who we are and what God has done in our life? And then finally in verses 9 and 10, we see the destiny of the children of light. Notice number one with me tonight, this distinction of the children of light. It's summarized really, or we might say it's epitomized in that first word of verse 4. But ye, brethren, He's talking to saved people and he's saying, this is what awaits the world. But you as children of God, you have a different hope and a different way of looking at the world. He says you are different from those that are overtaken in darkness that don't understand what's going on in the world. Isn't it funny how a child of God can look at what's going on in this world and understand an entirely different worldview than how a lost person views this world? Isn't that interesting? I'll tell you part of the problem. Nobody wants to say this, but I'll say this tonight, and I'll say it at any time. Uh, we have for far too long taken for granted that everyone in this country wants the same things. And that's not true. Uh, we've taken for granted that we all have the same basic vision of America, and we just argue about details of how to get there. I'm not sure that's ever been true, but it's certainly not true today. There is a marked difference in what people want in our country. And that should not surprise us, for we're living in a day where there's two types of people walking around. And this is not a political statement. This is a spiritual statement. Uh, there are people that are overtaken in darkness, and there are people that are walking in light. And they see two entirely different things. What is it that's different about them? Well, notice this. How did they become different? Number one in verse four, he says, but ye brethren are not in darkness. He's talking about intellectual or spiritual or scriptural darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
He's saying they're not going to expect to see that day coming because they've not been initiated into the truth of God's Word. Hey, and when I say initiated, what I mean is they've not been born again. They don't have eyes to see. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have a relationship with the Word of God. And even though they can read it academically, they cannot believe it uh, spiritually because they are spiritually dead. But he said that's different with you. We've been read in to what's going on in this world. We know what's happened. It shouldn't surprise us. Uh, Listen, I got news for you. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Now, it's not to say that we can't hope and pray for and believe God for a respite, for a space of grace in these days. I think we should be doing that. Uh, But it is to say, and there's biblical precedent for that, by the way. That's what uh, Nehemiah was praying for. Ezra was praying for was a a space of grace, even in a time when God was doing a prophetic work. That's what Habakkuk, by the way, was praying for. He said, hey, in the midst of the years, in wrath, remember, mercy, revive thy work in the midst of the years. He's saying, God, I know you're doing something prophetic, but I sure wish you'd do something personal as well. He's saying, I know you've got a prophetic plan, but I wish in the midst of that that you'd revive your people and work in our lives. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm not saying that there's no hope of that. But I am saying this tonight, that we know by the authoritative truth of the Word of God that things are going exactly like God said they would go. I said this three years ago, I guess. Whenever, uh, four years ago, five years ago, time just anymore, who knows. But uh, back whenever uh, President Trump was elected, there was this idea that a great nationalist movement of, of sovereignty of nations will sweep through the country. And I said then, I said, hey, listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the globalists win. If I read my Bible right, they do. This thing don't end with a great rebirth of of sovereignty of nations. And and that's what nationalism is. And not to say it hadn't been used and abused at times in the past, made to mean things and represent things that are evil, but it is to say the idea that nations should exist. That that we should allow our, ourselves to be organized and structured in nations. Those nations matter. They're important. They have borders. They have laws. They have autonomy. Uh, I hate to tell you this. I wish it was true that we were going to see a revival uh, of some of those ideals, but it's not true. The globalists win. <laughs> And we shouldn't be surprised at that. By the way, just because the globalists win, that don't mean God loses. God wins in the end. But I'm saying to you tonight, we're distinct through revelation. We know the truth. We've got the truth. We have accepted the truth. And we've been read into the truth of what God is doing in this world. Therefore, we shouldn't sit around wringing our hands, wondering how God has messed up, fell off of His throne, and allowed whoever we dislike and and don't want to be in power of this or in power of that, wondering how God could have messed up so bad, has let the mayhem unfold in our world the way that it is. Hey, we know better than that. We've got our Bibles. We know the truth of God's Word. So we ought to look at things through a different perspective. We're distinct through revelation. Look at verse number 5. He says this, Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are distinct through salvation. We're not only different from the world around us because we know things that this world does not know, although that is certainly true, but we are also different from the world around us because there's been a change take place in us that has not taken place in the majority of the world. It's interesting the way he uses the terminology children. I think very often because this terminology, this idea of being children of light, children of the day, you'll hear it a lot. You'll see it cross-stitched onto wall hangings and pillows. You'll see it in graphics and uh, posts on Facebook and stuff. And it's just become sort of a, a term that I think we're oftentimes familiar with. But don't miss what's obvious in that text. We are children. There's been a birth that has taken place. 
Now, what has happened in our life? Well, the book of James talks about uh, the Heavenly Father. He is the Father of lights. Now, that's of course no surprise because the Lord Jesus Himself said that He was uh, the light of the world. And we have been born again of Him into the family of God. And now we have a different nature from the world around us. It ought to be we're uncomfortable in this dark world. It ought to be that it grieves us. Hey, listen, when Lot was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, he daily vexed his righteous soul. The only way we can be comfortable around this world is if we're as wicked as this world is. It shouldn't disturb us that we're disturbed. Listen, it shouldn't bother us that we're bothered. What should bother us is if it don't bother us at all. That's what ought to trouble us. There's been a change take place in your life and mine, and now we are no longer partakers of darkness. We're partakers of light and His nature. And so it ought to be when we look at a world that is increasingly flooded and filled and oppressed with darkness, spiritual darkness, that we are troubled by that, that it bothers us, that we feel out of step and out of place. And I listen, this may seem very elementary and very simple, very childish, but I think it needs to be said uh, tonight. I think it needs to be said again in these days. Preachers used to say this. I think it needs to be said, you ought to feel uncomfortable in this world. You ought to be bothered by this world. You ought to stick out in this world. This world can look at you and don't see nothing but a reflection of themselves. What does that tell them and what does it tell us? It's not abnormal to feel out of place in this world. In fact, it is perfectly normal. It is perfectly appropriate that we should not be able to float through this world and draw no attention. We're distinct through salvation. Then he says this, we are not of the night nor of darkness. We're distinct through separation. Now he said what we are, then he said what we're not. And there's both sides to that. Somebody say amen. There's some folks that all they want to preach about is what we are. And they don't want to talk about what we're not. There's other folks all they want to preach about is what we're not. And they don't ever talk about what we are. Uh, but the Bible teaches us that we ought to have both those things in balance. And separation involves both of those things. Biblical separation is not just separating from something. It's separating to something. It's separating from the wickedness of this world. It's separating to a personal relationship with God, fellowship with Him, and walking in uprightness. In fact, there's two biblical words that sort of convey this idea, and they're very similar, separation and sanctification. Separation has to do with what you're leaving behind. Sanctification has to do with what you're headed towards. A closer, more intimate relationship with God. And here he reminds us that we are to be distinct through separation. We are not to live like this world around us because that is not our home. That is not our world. When you got born again, you gave up your seat at the world's table. You no longer have a right to demand an audience. You no longer have a right to suggest that you ought to have a place in this world. You became a citizen of another country. Now listen, this part of the problem, I, and I, listen, I'm not against us having a political voice as is our right by our Constitution. I'm not opposed to that. But I am opposed to this idea that we're somehow going to legislate Christians back into a place of influence in this country. Now let me say, uh, people say, well, you can't legislate morality. No, you can't, but I think we should try. I do. I think we should try, and I don't care what anyone has to say about that. I think if things are against the law of God, we ought to do everything we can to make them against the law of man too. I think that's okay, amen. I think my Bible's better and more important than our Constitution. And I think we ought to try to legislate morality, but I understand you can't. I understand you can't change 
uh, people's hearts uh, by trying to merely put outside parameters, laws upon their life. We have a perfectly vivid example of that in the Old Testament law of Judaism. Could not transform them externally. They had to be transformed internally. But if I could, I would. I wish that we could. Uh, But I will say this. I I think we should exercise that civic voice. And I, I think that we should have a right as a citizen of our country to express that civic voice. But if you think for one moment that God designed that we as Christians were to change the world through politicians and petitions, I'm sorry, you've not read your Bible. It's not through any of those things that we change the world around us. But rather it's through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through being salt and light in this world, showing, being that presence of the Holy Ghost in this world, that vehicle through which God reaches out and touches this world. And we cannot do that if we're always trying to run full bore, wide open steam to be as much like the world as we possibly can. I think we're distinct through separation. Hey, we're not of the night. We're not. We're not of darkness. Uh, it shouldn't bother you if darkness don't like your light. <laughs> because darkness don't like any light. It flees at light. It shatters at light. Hey, uh, there's never been a contest between light and darkness that light hasn't won. Well, darkness always flees at the light. It always hates light. And unrighteousness will always hate righteousness. And the sooner you grow comfortable with that, the sooner, number one, you'll quit being confused as a Christian. Because that's really what's happening in our world today. We have a lot of confused Christians. Uh, they didn't understand when they got born again that God was going to change their life. They just thought they was going to go to heaven. And now all of a sudden that they're born again and they try to go back to that old way of living and there ain't nothing there for them anymore. They look around and they can't understand. Well, let me fill us all in. You got taken from that power of darkness and put into that kingdom of God's dear Son. You got took from darkness and you got put into light. And the fact that you ain't comfortable in, in worldly skin, the fact that you ain't comfortable in darkness should not surprise you. It don't mean there's something wrong with you. It don't mean there's something outmoded or outdated about our Christianity that we need to streamline and update and revise to get with the times. All it means is that we ain't what we used to be. Hey, listen, we're not part of that darkness anymore. And we shouldn't be troubled at that. There's a distinction in the children of light. Then notice the disposition of the children of light. Verse number 6. So we know what we're not. (laughs) We're not of the night. We're not of darkness. So what what should we be? Well, look what he says in verse 6. Therefore, and a wise man once said, anytime there's a therefore, you ought to look what it's there for because it's there for a reason. Therefore, because of this, because there's been this great change in our life, there should be some things that characterize us. What are those? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Three things that as children of light, our life should be characterized by. Number one, it ought to be characterized by spiritual awareness. Verse number six, let us not sleep as do others. This world is sleeping. It's coasting through I was talking to my wife last night. The latest uh, bill that they're getting ready to pass, they got two of them they're trying to pass through. And, and one of them, I think, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, one of them I think was $1.2 trillion, the infrastructure bill that they passed. And they're getting ready to pass through the uh, reconciliation bill they claim, uh, which is something like $1.75 trillion, something like that. You know, I don't know if you grasp what a trillion dollars is. 
Do you know both those bills combined? Let's just call let's call it around three trillion dollars. Do you know how much three trillion dollars is? Did you know that if you divided that out, if you wanted to to spend that three trillion dollars in one year, you would have to spend almost a hundred thousand dollars every second of every day for a year solid. Hundred thousand, hundred thousand, hundred thousand. That's three trillion. By the way, that's not talking about the like six trillion we spent last year. And it's like there's this idea in our world that we can just keep doing this. You know, you know why everything's so expensive? Uh, you got, you've got a pay cut from the government and, and nobody told you. Do you know that the, over the past calendar year, they have entered into circulation 36% more money, more currency into circulation than was in existence before? 36%. We ought to be thankful that inflation's only 6.5%. You got a pay cut from the government by inflation and somebody forgot to call and to tell you that. I got news for you. It's going to get worse. This is what happened to Venezuela. This is why in Venezuela, there towards the end, there's walking around with duffel bags full of currency trying to buy a loaf of bread. And it got to the point they couldn't buy anything with it because they simply couldn't physically carry enough money to buy anything. That's how devalued their currency was. You say, preacher, that's all good and well, but leave it to Dave Ramsey. Well, let me tell you something. My point is this tonight. We are going down this path and politicians are just pretending that's not the case. You go back and see how many empires crumbled because they devalued their currency and wrecked their economy. But they're just coasting through. Now, can I tell you the greater tragedy? It ain't got nothing to do with the U.S. dollar. It's got to do with the fact that we're doing a far more nefarious thing to the hearts, minds, and souls of the people in our country than what we're doing financially. We're pouring rot and poison into people's minds. And by the way, we've been doing it for generations. Moral relativism, this Marxist garbage. I'm against communists. I'm against communists. Communism is a godless, atheist ideology. I'm against it. God is against it. God is against it. That don't mean He's for every capitalist walking around. There's a lot of corrupt ones of those too, but bless God, He's sure enough in for the communists. And I'm saying this tonight, we've poured generation after generation of that into the hearts and minds of the young people of our country. By the way, that's what the Marxists said. That's what the USSR said. They said it back in the 50s. They said in 50 years, they'll be sending communists to other places America will be. And that's what's happening. I'm just telling you, we're as a country, what's happening? They're asleep. They're traveling down a path and a trajectory. They're drunk on the hubris of believing that it can't happen to the great American empire. All the while, it is taking place around us. They're asleep. Spiritually, they're asleep. They live in constant defiance of the law of God and the truth of His Word and believe there'll never be a reckoning. They believe they can just keep printing the goodwill of God the way they keep printing dollar bills and they'll never run out and there'll never be a reckoning. But I got news for you, my friend. There's a reckoning coming. If God's a holy God, and you better believe He is, there's a reckoning coming. Now that's them. But He says, therefore let us. They're asleep. They're traveling down this path headed for destruction and they can't even see it. But that's not us. Somebody turned the light on the day the Holy Ghost took up residence in our life. And therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, what does that mean? It means to be vigilant. It's what being watchful means. It means to be watching, I believe, for the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But I believe also to be watchful for opportunities to serve Him. It means to be beholding around us, to have our head on a swivel, to be looking ever around us, paying attention. Then He says this, be sober. What does that mean to be sober? Well, it means to be realistic, to be logical, to be rational concerning what we know to be true. Here's what he's saying. We could maybe summarize it this way. You better pay attention. You better serve God. You better take your time seriously because the days are short. We ought to be characterized by spiritual awareness. Number two, we ought to be characterized by spiritual activity. Look what he says in verse 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Now, flip that thing around to understand what he's saying. He's saying the nighttime is a time for sleep and the nighttime is a time for drunkenness. So he's saying to you and I, we're not of the night, we're of the day. What should that mean for us? Well, it means two things concerning spiritual activity. In other words, we ought to be active. It ain't night time, it ain't time to sleep, it ain't time to be drunk, it ain't time to let your guard down. He says, no, we ought to be active. What does he say? Well, number one, I would say that we are to be characterized by working diligently. Sleep is the lack of activity. Uh, Sleep is the laziest thing any of us do. Somebody say amen. I don't know about that. I don't get much good sleep anymore. Sometimes I feel like I'm more active trying to sleep than I am other times. But it characterizes a cessation of activity. That's what sleep is. It is respite. It is resting. It is ceasing from what we are doing. He says that's for those that are in the night, but for those of us here during the day, we ought to be working. We ought to be diligent. Your life should not be characterized by serving self and and by merely sitting back and reclining and and trying to float through life. My daddy used to always say, my daddy worked at a a union job for 25 years. What I'm about to say might make somebody mad. I can't imagine. But um, he used to say uh, there's people he worked with made a living out of seeing how little they could possibly do. That was their job. Their job was to do as little as they possibly could. Let me say this, that there's Christians, that that's their perspective on Christianity doing as little as they can possibly do. Uh, how much can I do and uh, not be embarrassed when I get to heaven? Let me know that much, and that's what I'll do and nothing more. That should not be the attitude of children of light. Number two, walking uprightly. He says they that be drunken are drunken in the night. I'll tell you what a drunk man can't do. He can't walk straight. I'll tell you what somebody that's sober can do. They can walk straight. <laughs> we ought to be walking straight in the way we live our lives. We ought to be characterized by upright activity, by living in a righteous way. So we ought to be characterized by spiritual activity. Then notice number three, look at verse eight. He says, but let us, notice that again, we're not them, we're us. Them are appointed to wrath. Us is not. Them are going to have that day overtake them as a thief. Us is not. Us is going to be raptured out before that day. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So we're characterized by spiritual awareness and spiritual activity, but we're also characterized by spiritual armor. He says there are certain things in facing this world that we ought to equip ourselves with to keep a right perspective. He mentions two things. The first, and by the way, both of these are... I was I was reading this earlier and Lawrence was sitting there reading it with me and uh, he, he was reading the text and he read those and, and then he said, where's the rest? I said, what? He said, where's the rest? There's more. And it took me a second to realize he's talking about the rest of the armor of God. I said, well, you got to go to the book of Ephesians to find that, son. Here Paul just mentions two parts of the armor of God. What are they? And by the way, here's what he's saying. He's not saying the rest is not important. He's saying these two things are vital for living in these dark days. Notice the first thing. He says this, 
putting on the breastplate of faith and love. What does a breastplate do? Well, it covers your vital organs, and most importantly, it covers your heart. I'd say this, in these days, we need to be guarding our heart. Uh, boy, I, it's funny, I was telling them in Sunday school this morning, uh, as this world continues to buy in to uh, relativism, both academic, ideological, moral relativism, the idea that there's no truth, and really that's summarized in this word we hear all day today, or every day today, and it's the word binary. You probably went the first 40 years of your life and never even heard the word binary. And now you can't go 40 minutes without hearing the word binary. Is it binary? Is it non-binary? Is it pre-binary? Is it multi-binary? Binary, 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 binary. Just all the time you hear this term binary. They'll talk about it in terms of gender. People say I'm non-binary. What does that mean when they say that? Well, what they're trying to say is I'm not a man and I'm not a woman and I really don't know what I am. That's what they're trying to say by it. But binary means two choices. And it's interesting that as this world is slavering, is foaming at the mouth to proclaim that there's nothing that is binary, our world is becoming more binary, more divided. I'll tell you this. Hey, listen, they don't know how many genders there are but they are absolutely convinced there's only two political parties. Let me rephrase that. They don't know how many genders there are, but they're convinced that there are two political parties. I'm not convinced of that. I tell you, what we don't know how many genders there are, but we know there's us and there's them, and we're again them, whoever they are. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Well, because they're allowing truth to be ripped out, root and all from underneath them. And they in their heart have insecurity over that. And so they're grasping for something to hold on to that's concrete. And because they've jettisoned all truth, they don't have anything else uh, to use to do that. But as we're living in this world where we're constantly put at each other's throats, there's a great danger that we look around at those in darkness and view them as our enemy instead of as people that Christ died for. That we look around, that we that we huddle ourselves in a corner and paint it up as though, well, we got to just protect us and ours, me and mine, and, and can't reach out to that lost world because they're darkness. It's all darkness out there. It's all darkness. Now, I know it's darkness out there. You used to be out there. I used to be out there. Thank God the light came in and changed who it was. We need to make sure that in these dark days we're living in, we don't grow cold and calloused hateful and mean-spirited, that we uh, do not grow tribal in our perspective and begin to view the whole world as wolves at our door ready to devour and destroy us. You say, but preacher, aren't they? Oh yeah, they are, but the lion can handle the wolves. And if he gets a hold of them, he'll turn every one of them into lambs. He can change their life is my point. So we have to guard our heart. Number two, he says this, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, the term salvation in your Bible, it doesn't always mean the pardoning of the soul, the imputing of righteousness to a man. The term salvation is a broad term. And in this context, what kind of salvation is being spoken of? Well, it's talking about salvation from that day of wrath, salvation from the day of the Lord. He goes on to say in verse number 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's talking about when he says salvation is the salvation the church partakes in by being raptured out before that day of wrath and before the tribulation period. So here's what he's saying. Don't lose your head about you. Remember that your salvation 
will rescue you from all of this. Hey, if we're not careful, here's what we'll do, man. We'll, we'll spend so much time looking around that we'll lose our minds. There's Christians that do, man. There's Christians that get all messed up uh, because they spend all their time looking at the darkness that's around them and they forget that that's not for us. We're not appointed to that. We're not appointed to that. Don't ever forget, the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture. He's taken us out of this. I understand this world's getting more wicked. But hey, we're not going, we're not leaving uh, until the Holy Ghost leaves, but we're not staying a moment longer than He does. When He who letteth uh, is taken out of the way, we're going with Him. When He is removed from this world, we are removed from this world in the rapture of the church. So He's saying this, guarding our hope. Don't give up hope. Don't get so obsessed with the darkness that you forget what lays for the children of light ahead of them. And that's what he closes with. Look what he says in verses 9 and 10. We see the destiny of the children of light. What's going to happen? Well, verse number 9 tells us we have a glorious future ahead. He says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Now, why does he say it that way? He emphasizes not appointed us to wrath. They are appointed to wrath, those that are in darkness. But us as children of light, We're not appointed to that. We're not appointed to wrath. What are we appointed to? But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I understand the world's getting better. But do you know that your prospects are getting brighter? Let me say that again. You fell asleep. Something happened. I don't know. You didn't hear. Turn that hearing aid up. Listen. I understand this world ain't getting no better. But our future, our prospects are only getting brighter. Say, but, but preacher, isn't the world getting more wicked? Yeah. Aren't you excited? I, I, I don't relish in the wickedness of the world. But what it tells me is the day is growing late. The time is getting shorter. Jesus is coming soon. You say, preacher, how could you believe he's, he's coming soon? Don't you see how wicked it is? I, it, 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 listen, if he don't hurry up, they're going to have to start finding new and creative ways to be depraved. Just about everything imaginable is not only mainstreamed, it's on network television now. Surely the day is getting late. Surely the hour is getting late. And what lays ahead for us, man, we have a glorious future. We ain't got no reason to be discouraged. Hey, listen, I'm not a victim of prophecy. I'm a victor in prophecy. I've done read the end of the book. I know how this thing ends. (laughs) I see there's a glorious future. You say, well, that's good, preacher. Here's what we all say, right? Well, that's good, preacher, but we don't know how bad it's going to get until the rapture comes. Right? I say that. You probably say it too. I believe that's true. We don't know how bad it's going to get. Nowhere does the Bible say that everything's going to be great for Christians until the rapture. Nowhere does it say that. In fact, it says uh, that uh, perilous times shall come. Evil men and seducers shall act worse and worse. I understand that. I understand all that. But hey, listen, what do we have till the day that that glorious future takes place? Look what he says in verse 10 about Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. For the children of light, what do we have? Well, sure enough, we have a glorious future. But even before that, guess what we've got? We've got a gracious fellowship. It don't matter what's going on. Jesus is still with us. It doesn't matter how bad this world gets. He's going to walk with us day by day. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Could you imagine? Hey, you remember being a little child. You know what the scariest thing about being in the dark was? Being alone. Being alone in the dark. Nobody likes to be alone in the dark. You hear things that ain't there. You imagine things that don't even exist. But I got news for you. We may be living in a dark world, but we're not in the darkness. The light has been turned on in our life. You say, but preacher, it's getting so dark in this world. Yeah, but we're never alone in the dark. 
He's always with us. Whether we wake, whether we sleep, whether we're living or whether we're dying, doesn't matter. He's with us all the way. We've got nothing to whine about. We've got nothing to weep about. We're victors in this thing. We ought to start walking as children alive. We ought to quit running away from what we know to be the clear teaching of the truth of the Word of God. We ought to just start owning it. We ought to raise that banner and wave it high and just start being being bold about who we are. Yeah, I'm not what this world is. Thank God I'm not. Uh, Let me say, there's never been an easier time uh, to be bold in being different from this world. Do you know why? Even this world don't want to be like this world right now. There was a time, man, 60 years ago, if you'd looked at people and, and, and you had said to them, hey, Jesus can change your life, they looked at you and said, change it, I'm doing okay. Now, man, even they know they're going crazy. Why are we ashamed? Why aren't we telling people that God can save them and change them? Hey, why aren't we bold in saying, I'm not a part of this darkness. I'm part of the light, and you can be too. If you'll come to the light of the world, He can change your life. Let's bow together tonight. As musician comes play, I don't know what God may have done in your heart. There could be a number of things, application made from the text of God's Word tonight. But it might be the Holy Ghost spoke to you about something that we preached on. It might have been He spoke to you about something I didn't even talk about. But in some way, if God dealt with your heart tonight, I want you to respond to Him. Here's what we all ought to be willing to do. We all ought to be willing to say, I want to commit myself to walk in the light of God's Word in His truth in these dark days. Have you committed your heart, committed your life to live differently in the world around you? Or are you just floating along like everybody else? Just kind of living in the twilight a little bit, maintaining some cover. Or have you said, nope, this light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to live differently from the world around me. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.